BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. No, it's important and almost impossible for me to do on a regular basis. Well, according to my wife, it's actually doing a load of laundry every once in a while. But you know what's even more important than that? Reading the Bible. As you all know by now, if you've been listening to this podcast, I am terrible at being consistent with it, but I have a solution that's been making it super easy to stay engaged with the Word. It's an app called Dwell. It's a Bible listening app with all your favorite translations read by the silkiest voices in the game. And one of the coolest things about Dwell is their new read-along experience. If you've ever seen Apple Music's lyrics feature, that's exactly what you expect from read-along at Dwell. Awesome backgrounds, big, bold text that scrolls as the narrator reads to you. I'm telling you, you need to try it. You're going to love it. Go to dwellapp.io slash preachers and sneakers to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off dwell for life. Look, the listening plans and playlists alone have made it super easy for a dumbo like me to stay organized and consistent with reading the Bible. Seriously, it's, it's genuinely a great user experience. To get started with dwell, Go to dwellapp.io slash preachers and sneakers to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off dwell for life. 33% off means you save 50 bucks. So make sure again to visit dwellapp.io slash preachers and sneakers and commit to scripture for the rest of this year or for your life. Yo, 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 yo. It's the preachers and sneakers podcast. We're back, baby. It's June 16th, 2021. The world seems to be, knock on wood, opening up a tad, depending on where you live. I know that in Texas, the COVID might might as well never have existed. I mean, it we, collectively, everyone in Texas just agreed that it was over and we were going back to normal. And so crowds are back out. I mean, going out, dining, hitting the streets, having a few bevies together without masks and all that is pretty common, at least in my neck of the woods. I'm not saying that I... I approve of it or initiate it. I'm just saying that's what's happened here, you know? Uh, but also I think plenty of people are getting vaccinated depending on how you feel about all that. I don't really care uh, because this is my podcast and this isn't a back and forth, really. It's just kind of a one-way conversation. But it's at least it seems to be a good sign that people are getting out and about and not relegated to their homes. I know uh, my wife and I are super pumped to be able to maybe go sit in a place for once. So that's super fun. I mean, it's June, 2021. That's over a year's worth. Anyway, over a year's worth of this BS pandemic discussion. Anyways, this isn't, this isn't the time nor the place nor nobody cares. And everyone's exhausted with talking about it. I get it. I'm exhausted with talking about it. So, you know, you may have noticed on the Instagram, it's maybe taken a, 
a how do you say it? I just haven't been posting as much. Uh, that's a, for a bunch of reasons. One is that I've been trying to not uh, screw up being a parent this early on. We've got a now basically a two month old, which has been awesome, but also very involved. I feel privileged to be able to be at home for a lot of the day to be able to try to be a present parent. So that's a blessing, quote unquote, for sure, but also not exactly conducive to uh, creating social media content or podcast content or any of that kind of stuff. And so I've trying to I've just been trying to prioritize things in the right order. And I think being a parent probably trumps uh, posting niche conversation material on social media. So for those that, I don't know if anybody even cares anymore, but for those that were, have been looking for me to post more content, sorry, uh, I'll be back eventually, but also it's kind of a good inflection point The having the baby and having the book come out is kind of a good inflection point to figure out maybe what the future of the account is and where we're headed. I think it's, I mean, I've been in conversations with a couple different groups about starting to do more video content, maybe expand the the quote brand a little more. So where it's less dependent on me specifically and more existing as its own thing. Uh, and that's still kind of in, in flux. It's, it's like this existential discussion about how do you, what is this brand and what does it mean and what should it continue to be? And how do you continue to make it sustain itself without just posting the same thing over and over and over and over? Uh, because admittedly that gets really old real quick. Uh, so I'm trying to get more people involved with the brand and hopefully take it to a place that's more um, broad, where it's not so niche that it's just going to get tired after a while. I think that's the best way forward, but I'm still trying to figure that out. I think it's going to have to do something with encouraging authenticity, encouraging people to audit their social media presence and their the way they present themselves. I don't know what that is, but I think that's where it's headed. Trying to get people to legitimately be real about things in their life and about their activity on social media. And it's kind of weird to think about making a brand around that. It's, I don't, as a business guy, I've been trying to think of ways to make it into an actual brand that could be out there in the marketplace, but I'm still trying to figure out. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know. It's kind of nebulous to say, hey, we're a brand that encourages authenticity. Like, what is that? Is it, is it apparel? Is it more books? Is it coaching? Is it speaking? I don't know. But trying to make it to where Preachers and Sneakers exist as a brand without just BK. Because for a long time, it was dependent on me, but love for it to just exist as its own entity so that, I mean, admittedly, I could focus on other things and also continue to have Preachers and Sneakers grow. So, more to follow on that, but on in the same vein about social media presence and auditing our lives online and in person, I've got a uh, kind of different format for today's episode. You know, usually it's in an interview or me going on a rant about some stuff that I'm uninformed about, but I was able to get my publisher W slash Thomas Nelson slash HarperCollins Christian slash HarperCollins to give me a chapter of the audiobook that I read. Um, you can get the whole thing on Audible, Amazon, wherever you buy audiobooks. Uh, and it's a weird thing to say, I got the publisher to give me a chapter of my own book, but uh, technically, I guess they own it. And so I can't just frivolously go posting 
whole chapters of my audiobook. But I got them to uh, let me use a chapter from my own book that I wrote and read um, from Preachers and Sneakers Authenticity in an Age of For-Profit Faith and Wannabe Celebrities. And specifically, it's chapter six, which far and above, I've had the most feedback about this chapter Positive feedback. You know, I, I guess I've had plenty of negative feedback across the board, but the most positive feedback I think has come from chapter six, which is titled Registered Flex Offenders or Your Lifestyle Post of Sin, because I think it's the most applicable between this and maybe the uh, call out culture chapters. These are the most applicable to the, the regular person reading and, you know, admittedly, it's the most convicting to all of us. Um, and it's a chapter about our hearts behind why we post what we post. And if we dig deep and being honest with ourselves, are we really trying to impress a bunch of people that we don't know for to just be impressive, I guess, or are we genuinely trying to, you know, share with our people what's going on in our lives? You know, it's, it's uh, kind of a messy topic to deal with because it deals with each individual person's heart. But I think, if you haven't read the book or haven't listened to the book, this this chapter alone would be impactful for you. If not, just to consider any kind of way that you can improve your presentation of your life to the world. You know, social media is very easy to get caught up in wanting to curate our image to show that we're crushing it. We are beautiful. We're achieving all of our dreams. We're making all this money. We've got these beautiful spouses, we're going to these cool restaurants, all this kind of stuff. But if you're not careful, it can very quickly turn to just a practice and trying to get people to envy you. And, you know, I get in, it, get into it a little bit in the book, but there's, there's data around social media causing anxiety and depression in others. And as Christians, you know, once you know about that data, do you care about that at all? Should you care about how other people interpret what you post online? You know, there's a line between not wanting to be controlled by randoms on the on the Internet, but also wanting to be considerate of those that may be going through some tough stuff right now. And if they see your post, it's going to make them feel worse or make them feel anxiety or make them compare their lives to yours. A whole lot of things are there. But um, I think this chapter will really help you dig into some of that for yourself. So if, if you've already listened to the audio book or if you've read the book alone, this, this might be a little redundant for you, but I think it would be good to listen either way. It's a short chapter. It's like 20 minutes long. Um, so excited for y'all that haven't read it or heard it to listen to it. And let me know what you think. If you like the chapter, pick up the book. If you can't afford the book, just message me and I'll make sure that you can get it somehow. I don't, you know, price shouldn't be a prohibitive factor for you. I mean, it's not exactly expensive, but genuinely, like if you can't afford it or anything, just let me know. I'll find a way to get it to you. Um, so thanks for tuning in. Thanks for subscribing to the pod. Thanks for being patient with my content schedule. I'm one man over here and, uh, doing a lot myself and trying to figure out the way forward. So thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for all the love about the book and, and leaving a review on Amazon, all that good stuff. It's been very helpful and very encouraging. Um, yeah, I appreciate you listening. You know, admittedly, the book isn't selling TD Jakes numbers or anything. You know, very few people can just be an unknown author and then release a book out into the world and do, you know, Oprah 
or Emmanuel Acho numbers. Like it's, uh, it's very hard to have, you know, life changing money come from book sales. I mean, like I'll tell you, I haven't, I haven't made a single dollar off book sales. Like that's how few books we've sold. Not as like a pity party or anything. It's just the reality of the situation. And if I wrote a book on authenticity, I'd, I'd rather be authentic about it. So the, uh, the reviews and the feedback about the book have been very encouraging. So would love it if you, if you did enjoy the book or found something that was helpful or encouraging or even convicting, share it with somebody that you know, whether you love them or hate them or whatever. Uh, and that, cause that's how this thing's going to grow and that's how the message is going to get out. So appreciate everybody that's done that already. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. And again, this is chapter six from my book, Preachers and Sneakers, Authenticity in an Age of For-Profit Faith and Wannabe Celebrities, titled Registered Flex Offenders. Chapter 6, Registered Flex Offenders. Are your lifestyle posts a sin? The chilling February cold of New York City rushed right to our bones as we stepped out of the completely custom Matt Gray Ford Raptor truck worth more than $100,000. Stacy and I were filled with uncertainty about and anticipation for the moment we were about to step into. We walked around the corner to a decrepit-looking door that, to passers-by, would seem like any other shoddy apartment or utility maintenance entrance. Standing right outside was a lone security guard, wearing a big city peacoat that could have engulfed the four of us due to the size required to cover his cliché bouncer build. He made Pastor Keith Kraft from Elevate Life Church look like a scrawny ball boy. The security guard inspected our IDs, taking a second look at Stacy's because she still looks 17 and is used to being carted for even the airplane exit row. He eventually allowed us to pass, and we entered the pitch-black hallway. There was a bright neon light at the opposite end, a glimmering outline of the greatest basketball star to ever play, Michael Jordan in his classic Jumpman pose. This is when the sneaker fanboy in me started to freak. Justin and Chicana Holiday had somehow convinced Justin's teammate, Carmelo Anthony, to allow them to bring along their two non-celebrity friends, to his ultra-exclusive Super Bowl party. Mello is a four-time Olympian and scoring machine in the NBA, so this was like a movie. After walking past the massive Jumpman logo, we turned the corner and were greeted by a theater-sized screen, a Vegas-style buffet, and blaring hip-hop from a live DJ. Mello and his wife Lala stood up and greeted us as if we were all just at a normal watch party. The entire 2017 New York Knicks team was sitting on plush couches, focused on the now infamous battle between the New England Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons. We eventually found seats between Joachim Noah and Kristaps Porzingis and paused to take in the super normal situation. After a brief 30 seconds of appreciation, I took out my phone and immediately started showing the world how totally normal and chill I was among these towering titans of the game. For a mega-average, mediocre-skilled dude from Louisiana, I've been able to experience some pretty unique VIP experiences, none of which I earned or deserved. As I mentioned in my note on sneakers, one of my best friends in the world is NBA shooting guard Justin Holliday. Throughout our friendship, he has selflessly hooked my wife and me up out of the goodness of his heart. For one, he's given me access to NBA locker rooms, practice facilities, super fresh hotels, and amazing seats for as many of his games as we could make it to, free of charge. I've been able to shoot around in the Bulls practice court, drive Justin's decked out Ford Raptor into the Madison Square Garden players' entrance, and dap up some of the greatest players in the game, like Steph Curry and Jimmy Butler. We've even gotten access to the fully stocked family suites that usually only family members get to enjoy, complete with open bar of Cokes and immaculate spreads of free food. Not only that, but Justin has brought us along for exclusive events off the court, like sitting in the owner's box at MSG for a Lumineers concert, where we shared sushi with NBA legend Phil Jackson 
and rubbed elbows with other New York City elites. These were once-in-a-lifetime experiences. That's not lost on me. Hardly anyone gets to see the inner workings of professional sports. I count myself incredibly lucky to have such a close relationship with someone in a small subset of the sports world who's willing to share the spoils of his hard work and dedication. Maybe basketball doesn't mean anything to you. What about comedy? I consider humor the most spiritual of services you can provide to someone. Everyone thinks they're funny, but only a few can consistently bring me to laughter. Throughout the life of Preachers and Sneakers, I've been able to meet some pretty incredible comedians and actors, including the Hollywood types. One of my favorites, who also happened to write the foreword to this book, is actor, comedian, and sultan of sarcasm, Joel McHale. Joel reached out to me during my eight seconds of fame, and we struck up a great friendship via DM. As he mentioned in the super subtle foreword, you probably know Joel from his recurring roles on Community, The Soup, and Card Sharks. He's also had cameo appearances on pretty much every current sitcom and late-night show out there. Of course, his new career highlight may be writing the foreword to this book. Hmm. What you probably don't know is that Joel and his wife Sarah are Christians and some of the most generous people in the game. Up to this point, I have had really nothing to offer Joel other than poor attempts at jokes, but he has selflessly given Stacy and me so much. Not only did he blast my content across his platforms and share it with his celeb friends, but he also agreed to be a guest on my podcast. As part of recording the podcast, Joel invited Stacy and me, sight unseen, to his Hollywood Hills mansion. We'd never met in person before, but he let us just roll up to his crib. We could have easily been murderers, but thankfully both parties turned out to be normal-ish people. Joel welcomed us in, cooked for us, and spent several hours talking to Stacy and me, getting to know about our lives. After recording the podcast episode, he sent us home with multiple bottles of wine, or I mean Pepsi. Most people never get a behind-the-scenes look at a mega-celebrity, but I did, and I was dying to let the world see. While I tried to play it cool, like I had been there before and was not starstruck when meeting and interacting with celebs, I thought this experience was the dopest thing ever. Of course, I wanted everyone in my circle to know. Admittedly, I made a few posts on Preachers and Sneakers IG stories because I couldn't help but show how cool my new influencer life was. Have you ever had an amazing experience, vacation, or celebrity interaction? What was the first thing you would do if you got to sit in those free NBA courtside seats or backstage green rooms? Like most people in a social media-obsessed world, you would probably pepper the gram with your photos, videos, and stories of how cool it all was and how it was just a typical part of your life. And that's what I did. I did not hesitate to spam my followers with more pics of me in the suite or on the court or backstage. I absolutely felt like the world should see how cool my life was and assume that people would genuinely be happy for me and not stumble or be jealous because that is totally how I always feel for others when they get something good. In Christian circles, I wonder how much thought is put into what we post. I think most people probably run their posts through the initial filter of, is this a photo of me doing a keg stand or wearing a tiny swimsuit? No, and I'm probably good. I wonder what your pastors would say if you told them that their dope vacation or celebrity pics were causing you to stumble. Would your concern be treated the same as if they'd posted pictures of their hot wives in bikinis? Do we really even care if someone in digital land can't handle a harmless picture of our free ranch house trip? Shouldn't people just be happy for us if we get the rare treat to go on a vacation? If not, what really is the difference between causing someone to lust after a body versus lust after our opportunities or circumstances? Go to any of the profiles of the PNS regular pastors and you will see, among their well-curated preaching pics, photos of them rubbing shoulders with the biggest celebrities in the world. You can see Carl Lentz hooping with Drake. Rich Wilkerson Jr. on a FaceTime call with the Beebs, or Craig Groeschel and his chiseled jawline hanging out with Kanye at his ranch in Wyoming. You can also see them on frequent, exquisite beach and mountain vacations, seemingly always bringing a professional photographer along to capture those precious, candid moments in the chalet. 
On my cleverly named podcast, The Preachers and Sneakers Podcast, I hosted my pastor buddy, Jonathan Pacluda, JP, whom I've mentioned before, talk about the prosperity gospel and Christians' use of social media. If you haven't already, I encourage you to listen to all of this episode because it is chock full of wisdom and truth from JP, not from me. During our conversation, JP highlighted the dangers of social media and what we choose to post as believers. JP, do you think jealousy is a sin? BK, long, awkward pause trying to figure out if this is a trick question. I think envy is a sin. Yeah, yeah, jealousy is a sin. JP, yeah, yeah, without a doubt, jealousy is a sin. Envy is a sin. And what's interesting about social media is so much of what we post is in an effort to make people jealous. BK, right. JP, and I think we're really going to have to give an answer to that. I think that's something that we've been really not careful on. I'll speak for myself specifically. Like when I go on vacation, you know, it's like, look where I'm at. Look where I got to go. What I'm doing is I'm just causing someone to stumble. I'm trying to make someone jealous of me, and that's a sin. Why are we so determined to let the world see into our beautiful lives? Is it to normalize us as regular people? Is it to encourage others to take time to recharge, rest, and reflect? Or deep down, might we just enjoy the idea of our followers thinking we've got a pretty dope life? I wonder why the pastor community hasn't expressed much thought on this concept. Even if you don't think you're purposely trying to make others envy your life, do you agree that there's some element of what Court Marley calls social comparison syndrome? In his book, Navigating the Digital Sea, Gospel Guidance for Social Media, Marley described this as the unhealthy habit of online comparison that creates bitterness, disdain, or pride. Numerous studies explore the effects of consuming social media every day and social media's connection to depression and anxiety. While many variables are at play, one 2019 study of 3,826 Canadian adolescents showed that increased hours spent on social media led to significant increases in feelings of depression and anxiety. If you agree with the data, it seems we are, at best, complicit in causing some form of depression and anxiety in others. At worst, we're literally causing our brothers and sisters in Christ to sin. Do you care? Do I care? If so, what can we do better? So the lifestyle picks and celebrity flexes are one thing, but what about Christians performing overtly Christian acts for the gram? Along with immaculately curated photos, we have a generation of pastors and Christian performers that puts commonly private Christian acts on display. I've recently been struggling with one element of this, live streaming prayers. I'm not talking about a 30-second clip of an introductory prayer from a YouTube sermon, but five minutes of emotionally praying for all the world to see. The easiest target for this is Devon Franklin, the famed prosperity preacher slash motivational speaker who's married to Cousin Skeeter star Megan Good. On a weekly basis, he hosts a live stream of himself praying on his Instagram. This is not a guided prayer for others, but a video of only him praying and tons of onlookers commenting. How do we align this with verses like Matthew 6.1, which literally says not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen? For Christians, does this apply to social media or no? When we record something or start an IG Live, we know our followers are going to see it. We know that others are going to have the ability to like, share, and comment on that piece of content. Should we consider that before we jump into a passionate intercession for the day's topic? Obviously, Jesus never commented on topics like social media, but he did care about hearts and intent. If the verses do apply, we all, celeb pastors included, need to take a major inventory of what we are releasing into the Zucker sphere. If they don't apply, then what does, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others, actually mean? Matthew 6, 5. My fear is that we've ignored the warnings of Jesus when it comes to what we create and how we spend our time online and have replaced them with a desire to impress others. 
Look, I agree that a healthy prayer life is massively important to our spiritual journeys and growth. I absolutely want to know that my pastor, especially, is taking everything to God in the pursuit of leading our church. I guess I just question the purpose of sharing a well-curated photo or video of you praying. To me, such a post risks being more about image than about an intimate relationship with your Creator. Jesus gave further instruction about our prayer lives in Matthew 6, 6-8. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus wants us to have no hint of being righteous for the approval of others. Jeremy Ham wrote a helpful article about this tension back in 2011, in which he made this conclusion. Prayer is a vital aspect of Christian living, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. We should work toward a continual state of prayer unto God, praying constantly and always being mentally prepared to pray. Furthermore, we should rely upon God to meet all our needs. We have no reason to worry when we have a God who cares about His people, Philippians 4, 6. We can, indeed, pray everywhere as long as we are praying for the right reasons. Praying for prideful reasons only receives earthly rewards. In everything we do, our focus should be on Christ, not ourselves. Jesus Christ has done so much for us, and the proper response for the gift of salvation is to show our love to Him and put Him first in our lives. As an added benefit, focusing on Christ will lay up treasures in heaven. So yes, of course the answer is that it's all about intent. What about perceived intent when you're a massive public figure who influences millions of people? Should we as fellow believers care about how you are portraying your spiritual life? I struggle to understand what the benefit is of putting on a spiritual show for millions of social media followers. Maybe the extent to which it influences others to pray outweighs the risk of looking like you're practicing righteousness in public. I know it's exhausting to question the intent of every type of social post out there in the Christian world. I don't really love doing it either, but if it gets us even an inch closer to more carefully considering what we post, is it worth questioning? Or should we just accept the status quo? There are the emotional social media prayers, and then there are the super public spectacles of charitable giving, usually around Christmas. This probably applies more to Christian public figures than the average person with 300 followers. There is a rising trend of pastors making their church's giving practices known to the world. At the tail end of 2019, Transformation Church pastor Michael Todd did a sermon series called Crazy Faith. In the series, he called up various people, singles and families, and described a need that they had expressed previously. Then he handed them a box or an envelope that they would open to unveil a check or car keys or new drums or whatever. Over the course of the sermon series, Transformation Church gave away $1.2 million from its missions fund. The church gave not only to individuals, but also to numerous national organizations. That is a ton of money and was incredibly generous. The reason my account blew up in the first place is because I tend to lean on the cynical side, and I pose questions that many others were thinking but never knew how or wanted to ask. This is something I'm actively wrestling with, but bear with me. Could Transformation Church have given out these donations within the privacy of its church community? Did the church really need to broadcast this giving for the world to see? As of this writing, that video has more than 500,000 views on YouTube. Here's the church leadership's explanation for why they gave this money away. This is all about inspiring belief. Our mission is to represent God to people. We want to see their lives change, but oftentimes people have tangible needs that need to be met. And it's like you can talk to me about your big God when you help me with this hunger issue or help me with this housing issue. Seems like fair reasoning and a genuine desire to show people how God can meet real needs. Would it change anything if I told you that Pastor Mike Todd signed a book deal around that same time? 
When his maiden voyage into writing, titled Relationship Goals, released months later, it immediately landed on the New York Times bestsellers list and remained there for 14 weeks straight. At the time, I actually shared the video of Pastor Todd giving away the money and cars as something to be praised. A pastor and church actually putting real dollars toward what they said they were about instead of just vaguely talking about how God helps you in times of need. But was the giving truly about inspiring belief after all? It's impossible to tell, but this is the danger of using your platform as a spiritual leader to also build your personal brand. It's easy for critics like me to say, well, yeah, you gave away $1.2 million, but you also made mainstream headlines just in time for the release of your first book, which is now immensely successful. What's the deal with that? You may be thinking, okay, that's such a freaking stretch. Can't churches just do nice things without everyone assuming ill intent? Sure they can. But they chose to release their good works into the ether. Can I not also ask the questions that may help others with discerning what is good and right versus what is being abused or misused? Can you blame me and many others for at least raising an eyebrow after years and years of embezzlement and scandal within Christian megachurches? Rich Wilkerson Jr. and his wildly popular Voo Church took a page out of the same publicity playbook when they went around to different organizations in Miami giving away money and time for Christmas. While their giving wasn't near the size and scope of transformations, Vu did give $60,000 to various organizations that benefit foster care and other young people in Miami. $60,000 was generous, sure, but they filmed their team handing over this obscenely oversized novelty check to the head of each organization, which seemed to create pressure for the recipients to provide a reaction for the camera. What was the point of filming and sharing this video? Could it be that publicizing how your donations are being used is a very effective tool for inspiring year-end giving? Going back to Matthew 6, Jesus literally said that when we give to the needy, we shouldn't announce it like hypocrites do in order to be honored by men. Verse 2, he also commanded that we not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing so that the giving may be in secret, because that's what God will reward. Verse 3, essentially, he was saying to not do any of this for show. Again, it's impossible to judge the hearts of the aforementioned guys and their platforms, but it's also impossible to deny the publicity and fundraising benefits of showing the world what and how they gave. What if you genuinely do want to help others and also know that it will bring about great publicity for the book or conference tickets you need to sell? This is at least something worth considering. I do understand why many of these churches are moving towards publicizing their generosity and community activities. Our culture has basically forced them to. If you read through the comments on my account, many followers ask the question, why would they buy X or Y when they could have used that money to give to the poor? On the opposite end, there are also people like me who when churches do share some of the things they are doing in the community, immediately spring to say something like, oh, they're just doing this to pat themselves on the back or generate donations. The social media community has created quite a catch-22 for modern-day pastors. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. I do think we ought to push more of the attention toward the God that church serves and the community being helped, and less toward the guy or girl leading that organization or movement. I think fighting against vanity and trying to display wisdom instead of creating catchy visuals and elevating the organization's figurehead would truly benefit the cause of Christ. Any chance we have of living out John 3.30, which says, He must become greater, I must become less, is time and effort well spent. To be clear, this whole chapter is me pointing the mirror at myself. Over the past year, while I haven't posted much on my personal socials, I've still spent an obscene amount of time online, specifically on Instagram. My iPhone tracks this, and I've averaged five to nine freaking hours a day between IG, Twitter, and messages without even trying. I just checked, and I picked up my phone more than 300 times yesterday. While we need to address the heart behind why we post what we post, I need to repent of the legitimate addiction I have to perusing the virtual world in search of new content or inspiration for something to comment or share. 
always on the hunt for that small dopamine hit. I absolutely use that time to compare my life platform and notoriety to that of others. I for sure measure my 14 chins against the guy with abs and what my family looks like compared to complete strangers. I feel immense depression on some days when I see that a friend just got a sick new job or started a cool company or bought a 4,000 square foot home at the country club that his parents helped fund. It gives me pure anxiety to see others seemingly pursue their dreams while I feel stuck, still trying to figure out what to do with my life. Not only do I have to repent of my need to compare my life to the lives of others, but I also have to repent of making an idol out of likes, comments, and followers. I get so much fake value out of having a couple hundred thousand followers or having a post get 10,000 likes. All that is meaningless, yet I often put much more effort into getting responses online than responding to the one who died for my sins. In his letter to the Corinthian church way back in the day, Paul described the characteristics of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. I imagine this has to apply to the actions, intentions, and responses we show online. All of us need to consider why we post what we post. How can we check the heart behind what and why we post? Just as someone's appearance can cause someone else to stumble, so can our tropical vacation pics. Whether we think it's actually a sin or not to post that pic of our new house or Range Rover or whatever, what if we took a second to think about why we really want to share our posts with the world? We might be surprised by what we discover. Discussion questions. How have you committed registered flex offenses? Would it be worth taking a personal social media inventory? How's your heart with what you post? Do you love the idea of people thinking your life is awesome? How should church leaders use social media platforms? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.